Psalm chapter number 119, and we're going to continue on. We're almost done with this study through Psalm 119. We're going to be in verse number 105 today. And we do have a couple of guests with us. Savannah, would you mind introducing your guests? So this is my little cousin, Emma, and then that's my mom, Sheila. Awesome. Very good. We're so thankful that you all are here. And uh, Psalm 119, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 105. We're going to read this section entitled none and uh, start with a very famous verse to all of us but psalm 105 and uh, of course these verses are there in your handout so make sure you follow along and are able uh, to fill in those words the bible says thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path i have sworn and i will perform it and i will keep thy righteous judgments i am afflicted very much quicken me O lord according unto thy word Accept, I beseech thee, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. And I hope as we've gone through this, um, as we've gone through this study of Psalm 119, that this is, for those of you that have been here, this has been able to make it a little bit more special to you, uh, when, you when you go back and read it. I know uh, if you're like me, uh, when you have a Bible reading calendar and you're reading through it and you see Psalm 119 coming up, you start to dread it because you think it's going to take a week to read this chapter. Uh, but now after we've been able to go through and study, I hope that you maybe look forward to it a little bit more. And, and uh, it's not just a daunting task of trying to get through 176 verses in your Bible reading schedule. Uh, but if it's something that speaks to you and you're able to, to see the, the passion of the writer of Psalm 119 for the Word of God. The relationship that he has with it and what God does through it. For him. And I'd encourage you to take some time. We're not going to be able to get through everything that Psalm 119 has for us in the eight weeks that we're going to study this, obviously. And so I'd encourage you to take some time yourself, even after we finish here, and go back through Psalm 119 and read it. And certainly we've been looking at each of the different words that, that God uh, uses to describe his word. And uh, maybe go back through every single verse. And if you've got a, 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 an actual Bible, underline those or highlight those. Uh, go back through and look up all the words that are personal pronouns. Those, those words in which the writer refers to himself in relationship to the Word of God. Uh, but, but go back through it and study it for yourself. And, and uh, I promise you, you'll, you'll still be able to find new things from God's Word, from Psalm 119, even after we've studied it for eight weeks. And so uh, you'll, you'll not regret it if you do. And so we have looked at uh, already six different words that God uses in Psalm 119 to describe God's Word. We've looked at law, testimonies, way, precepts, statutes, and last week we looked at commandments. And so we're going to look at number seven today, and that is the word judgment or judgments. And so look there in your handout. And let me give you the definition for judgment or judgments. comes from the Hebrew word mishpat. Mishpat. And uh, it means a verdict, a sentence, complete justice, the decision. A verdict, a sentence, complete justice, or the decision. Uh, it comes from a Hebrew word that has to do with 
legal terminology, okay, the judgment, the decision. Um, when a judge hands down a ruling in a courtroom, we call that the verdict. It can also be referred to as the judgment, referring to that case. And so when we look at God's word and we think of them as judgments or as the judgments of God, then we ought to think of God's word as the ruling authority. That it is the decision that's been made, it is the standard for life. You may have heard the phrase where people refer to the Bible as the final authority in their lives or the final authority for their decisions. And, and that's good. And I believe people's hearts are in the right places. And even if we have referred to or believed the Bible to be the final authority for what we believe, that's good. But let me say, instead of making the Bible the final authority, why don't we make it the only authority, the sole authority? Um, when we say the Bible is the final authority, that gives us room to consult other things. When we say the Bible is the final authority, that gives us the room to go get other people's opinions. When we look at the Bible and say it's the final authority, that gives us room to look at all the other options in life. But when we believe it's the only authority, that's the only place we're going. And that's what the Bible needs to be for us, the only authority for life. Pastors refer to this phrase, and he's, he's said it before, and you've probably heard it, but uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And he said that, he said this before in messages, but when he began thinking about that, he realized that that phrase in the middle didn't need to be there. Because when God says it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. And the Bible is the judgments of God, the decisions of God, the, the things that God has decided already and is laid down in Scripture, it's settled. And it's up to you and I to choose to believe it. And I think one of the reasons why we sometimes struggle with that, why we look at the Bible or we look at the things that God allows in our lives, we look at the decisions that God makes in our lives, the will of God, if you will. Um, the, one of the reasons why we struggle with that is because Maybe this is just me, and so I'll be a little transparent. I don't like relinquishing control. I don't like giving up control in life. And uh, if you're like me, you don't like giving up control uh, over, or, or at least the control you think you have over your own life. Because honestly, if we're going to be really honest and transparent with ourselves, we don't have control. Uh, we don't have much control. Uh, and, and we like to feel empowered. And, and certainly culture and society adds to that and, 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 and tries to preach that gospel of, of being empowered, of, of, of making something of yourself and having control of your life. And I believe that, that to some degree, the Bible teaches we are to take responsibility for ourselves. And there are responsibilities and things that we need to do. We've already talked about those. And there's spiritual responsibility that we need to take over our own lives, but we get frustrated when we feel like the circumstances of our life are out of control. We feel like things that are not our fault, you know, it's one thing to make a bad decision or make a wrong choice and then have to deal with the consequences. We can get frustrated, but more than likely we're frustrated ourselves for that. But when it's something that's completely out of our control, we didn't ask for it, we didn't choose it, we didn't decide it. It's not a consequence of a decision or action that we made. We get frustrated and even angry at God at times. We didn't ask for this to happen. And when we, when we face those times, when we face the judgments of God that we don't necessarily agree with or understand, then we've got to come back to this truth that God has the authority. 
He has the, the sole authority. He has the say-so. He makes the decisions, and it's my job, my responsibility to trust and to follow. And so as we look at this word judgment or judgments in Psalm 119, um, one of the things I want to highlight here is that six different times, or excuse me, seven different times, there is a word that goes along with it. It describes it. And that is the word righteous or right. And so look at verse number seven of Psalm 119. And it's there in your handout. The Bible says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. When I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. And again, we find uh, this word righteous or right associated with judgments seven different times in uh, Psalm 119. Verse 62 says, At midnight I will give thanks, I will rise and give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Verse number 75 says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in thy faithfulness has afflicted me. We've talked about that verse before. Verse 106, we just read it a little bit ago. I've sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Verse 137, righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Verse 160, thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. In verse 164, seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Judgments, And so that word righteous or being right uh, is associated with God's judgments. And it's a very simple definition. And I don't want you to think of the word righteous here as being perfect, although the word of God is. I don't want you to necessarily think of the definition of righteous as being holy, although it is. But this definition of righteous, or when we think of God's word or his judgments, his decisions as being righteous... Very simple definition. It's there in your handout. It comes from the Hebrew word sedek, and it is to be right. To be right. Or to be what it should be. And so every time God, or every time the author of Psalm 119 describes God's judgments, his decisions, what he has decreed, what he has decided, he says they're right. They're exactly what they should be. Go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, these words are, these verses are there in your handout as well if you want to look there. But Psalm 119, because another verse we find God's judgments being described as righteous. But it's interesting because in these verses here, uh, we find the same words that we've been studying in Psalm 119 describe God's word. They're used here. And so we find as we... Talked about last week, there's one author of the Bible. And so look at verse number seven. It says, the law of the Lord, there it is, law is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the judgments of the Lord, they're true, they're trustworthy, they're righteous. They are right. And look at verse number 10. This is kind of a side note, but I love this verse. It says, more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That phrase, more to be desired, is similar to the word we've looked at before in Psalm 119 about delighting in. 
delighting in the word of God, uh, wanting more of it, looking forward to spending time in it, looking forward to hearing from it, looking forward uh, to what it has for me. And uh, I was reading in Psalm 119, and actually, this actually goes along with what we're talking about with judgments. Look at verse number 20 of Psalm 119. Sorry to make you skip around a little bit. But that idea of delighting, that idea of more to be desired. I don't want anything more. Look at verse number 20. It says, My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. And so as we think about this idea of longing for, of desiring, of, of, of wanting God's word as, as it's defined in the word judgments, let me ask you this. When's the last time that we were so desperate to know what God thought or was going to decide about a situation that nothing else mattered. That verse, verse number 20, the writer says, my soul breaks. My soul breaks because I just want to know what you have to say about this, God. I am so desperate to know what you have to say. I'm so desperate to know what you think. I'm so desperate to know what you're going to decide that nothing else matters. We've got to ask ourselves, what, what's our relationship like with the Word of God? Is it to where nothing else matters but to know what He says? To know what He thinks? To know what He has decided? But God's judgments are righteous. And uh, the Bible says they're right, they're righteous, they're true, they're trustworthy. His decisions and his verdicts for life are right. And the reason for that is because God is righteous. His word is righteous and he is righteous as well. So because of that, his decisions can only be extensions of that righteousness. Because God is right, his decisions can only be right. Because God is right, his choices, his decrees, his judgments can only be right. They are always right. And we need to believe, as the Bible says, that God is, it is a part of his character. It's a part of his nature. It is intertwined. Just like God is love, he can't be anything else but love. God is righteous. He can't be anything else but righteous. It cannot change and will not be lost no matter the situation, the circumstance, or the decision. You're in Psalm 119. Look at verse 137. We read it just a minute ago, but it says, Righteous art thou, O Lord. You are righteous, God. You are right. That is a part of your character, God. Um, Psalm 129 and verse number 4 says this. You can turn there if you want to. Uh, the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. Psalm 145 and verse number 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways. He's right. He is righteous. Second uh, Timothy 4.8 refers to God as the righteous judge. He's righteous. He, he, he makes righteous, right, correct decisions. Now, this is a truth of Scripture that cannot be debated. It is black and white on the pages of Scripture. It cannot be debated. It must be believed as true in our hearts. These are the parts of Scripture that we need to look at. Just like we, we have seen God's Word described as the statutes, those things written in stone that are unchanging, that cannot be altered. Uh, as we saw last week, the commandments of God, they're given intensively without question or doubt. And let me say this, and this has more to do with how we look at God, but if you look at God through every situation that you face in life, every decision that he makes regarding your life, 
maybe every one of the all things that we talked about from Romans 8.28, that by themselves they aren't necessarily good. But if you look at God through one of those, then it's going to be hard to come up with the assumption, the belief that God is right. If you look at God through a difficult situation, it's going to be very hard for you to believe that God is right. Let, let, can, excuse me. Can we be real just for a second? Can I just be real with you? Okay. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to not be a teacher right now. Um, you know, it's hard to look at certain situations and say that God is righteous. Would you agree with me? It is hard to look at things that have happened to us, that have happened to people that we know, people that we love, and say that God is right. That what he decided in a situation is right. Maybe it's the loss of a child, the death of a spouse, a parent, um, a failed relationship, a terminal illness, a situation of abuse. How can we honestly look at those situations and say that God is right. Now I'm going somewhere with this. How can you look at any one of those situations and come up to the conclusion that God is right? But let me say this to you. Because the problem with that conversation is that we're looking in the wrong place. See, the thing is, you cannot look at your circumstances or the situations that you face in life, or any one of those terrible things that we just mentioned, and let that define your God. You've got to look at your God to define your circumstances. The problem with looking at the terrible things that we deal with in life, and the hard things, and yes, they are bad, and we look at those and we say, how can God be right? But the problem is we have to look at God and say, you're right, so this must be right somehow. This is going to work out somehow. You know, you can't look at affliction, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, and say that it's good if you aren't looking at Jesus first. You can't look at the all things of Romans 8.28 and see them working together for good if you don't read the rest of that verse and see that it's to those that love Jesus first. You uh, can't look at the thorn in the flesh like Paul had to deal with and let God's grace be sufficient for you if you aren't trusting in Jesus first. See, we, we, we have problem looking at the situations and difficulties and stresses and frustrations and terrible situations even in life and saying that God is righteous when we've got to look at him first and say, you're righteous, so help me see this the right way. Help me see this the way I need to see this. Help me see this as being good for me. Help me see this working together for good. Help me see this as something that you can work through. See, it's up to us to settle in our hearts and mind first who God is based on what this book says, no matter what we face or what life will bring us. We've got to settle that first. We've got to know who is God based on what his word says, not what life is bringing me, not what I'm facing around me. We have to believe the truth of scripture as truth, the judgments of God, the sole authority first, not based on our own interpretation or the circumstances or experiences that we face, but what this is in truth, the infallible, unchanging, inerrant, trustworthy 
word of God. See, that's the only reason that our response to and in each negative situation that we face can be right. That's the only way. That's the only way that we can look at it and say, this is right. Uh, this is the only way that we can look at it and say, God is right. It's the only way that we can look at it and say, this is going to work together for good. I have no idea how, but I know that God is right. I know, not, know that God is good because the Bible tells me so. And that may be a simple children's song, but it's something that we need to believe. And then as we look at difficult situations, as we look at frustrations, as we look at things that we didn't ask for, don't agree with, and really don't want in life, we could say, God, I, I, we'll get to where verse 7 says, I will praise thee when I have learned thy righteous judgments. God, I know you're right. I know whatever you're going to decide in my life is right, so I'm just going to praise you. Uh, if we believe by faith that what God decrees for our life is right, that he's not out to get us, that he's not just being unfair, but that he really does care and love us, that he is right, uh, that it will work together for our good, that's when we can look at the storm of life and say, okay, I'm looking at you. It's like Peter on the water. Peter was fine in the middle of the storm. Walking through the storm, walking on the water. Why? Because he was looking at Jesus. And that seems so simple and so cliche, but it's the truth. That's exactly what we need to do. You read the story of Job. I was talking to somebody this week about Job. And uh, sometime we're going to do a study on Job because it is so applicable. When you read the story of Job, when you, you read how he went through so many terrible things. And at the beginning, it seems like Job has the right mindset. You know, Lord, give it, Lord, take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then you start reading through Job, and as his friends come, his terrible friends come, and they start blaming Job, trying to figure out why in the world God is doing all these terrible things to him. And then Job starts having a pity party for himself. He loses sight of where he was supposed to look. And Job started taking the focus off the Lord. He stopped saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he started saying, woe is the name of Job. And he started saying, I should never have been born. I, should, I just need to die. Just kill me now. Started blaming his friends for making it worse. Job took his eyes off the Lord. And then God has to step in at the end. And God goes through those few chapters, and if you read it, it's, you know, it's one of those things where God did a lot of talking, and Job did a whole lot of listening. But at the end, and I believe this is the purpose for Job, Job says, I heard of you by the hearing of my ear. God, I've, I've heard about you. I knew you a little bit. I knew of you. I had a relationship with you somewhat, but now I see you. Now I see you. Job got a whole clearer picture of who God was. And he was able to come out of those difficult situations. He was able to overcome the losses. He was able to overcome the grief. And that's what we have to do. It's when we look at him first, believing and trusting that he is right, not always understanding. Remember the definition we gave for understanding is being able to separate it, being able to distinguish, being able to see how everything works together. We may not be able to see how everything works or fits together. But if we trust God, know that the Bible says he's right. Know the Bible says he's good. We're going to go on. And because of that, we saw that in verse number 7. I will praise thee with uprightness because, or excuse me, with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. God, when I figure out what you're doing, when I learn what you've decided for me, I'm going to praise you. Why? Because I know that you are right. I know what you have decided is right, is correct. And sometimes, listen, look at verse number 52. Sometimes we have to look back. 
Sometimes it may be hard for whatever you're going through right now for you to say and believe and <laughs> convince yourself that God is right. So you may have to look back on times when he's decided right things you know have been right in the past. Look at verse 52. I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Sometimes you may look back on the things that God has decided, places he's brought you, ways that he's worked in your life in the past that you didn't even expect and weren't even looking for, and yet he brought you, maybe he brought you here to this church or to this place. He, he brought you to a relationship with a friend or, or somebody special. Uh, he, he introduced you to him. And you have to remember those times. I'm going to comfort myself. I may not be able to see how you're good right now, but God, I can look back on times that I know you've been good and you've been right in the past, and I can go on. Look at verse number 62. It says, At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Now, when the Bible talks about midnight, there's two different things, especially in the Psalms, there's two different things that it can mean. It can literally mean the middle of the night, the 12 o'clock when the clock strikes 12 and the new day begins, the middle of the night. And if you know anything about the Hebrew clock, night was from 6 to 6, so midnight was right in the middle. Or it can also mean, it can be an analogy meaning the middle of adversity at midnight, when night is darkest. And I believe that we can look at this verse, verse number 62, and apply it in both ways. I think that, you know, if you've ever had a, a night that you can't sleep, maybe you're worried about something, a uh, decision you've got to make, uh, uh, you know, finance, a bill you've got to pay, some, something, something that you're worried about. You're dealing with adversity. You're dealing with something. Hey, if you ever face one of those again, you know, even if it is literally at midnight, why don't you get up and take some time to thank the Lord? Take some time to thank the Lord that he's right, that he's good, that whatever he's going to decide about this situation is going to be good, that, that what he's decided about situations and things in the past, what he's given to you, it is good. He is right, whatever it is. It, it, it could just be, you know, if, if I've heard this said before, but if God's keeping you up at night, maybe it's because he wants to talk. Maybe you just need to talk to him. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, we just need to be thanking and praising God. Um, and, and it could be maybe we just need to be doing it when we're all alone. You know, at midnight, I would think there's probably nobody else up at your house. There's nobody else up where you live at midnight. That's a great time for you to just get alone with God. If you can't sleep, why don't you take some time and get alone with God? Um, I was reading this before. Because it's so important that our time with God, our relationship with the Lord, and we've said this before, but our relationship with the Lord is not just what everybody else sees on Sundays. It's not just what everybody else sees on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Uh, it's not just what other people see when we come to Sunday school. It's not just what other people see when we're at church, when we go to a campus meeting, when we're at a Bible study. Uh, but our relationship with the Lord is with it's a, it's, a, it's a close, personal, intimate walk with him. Uh, I read this and I thought this was so good. But public worship, what we do together that everybody sees, will not excuse us from private worship. And there ought to be some midnights, if nothing else, some times where we get up by ourselves and make sure that we're spending some time with God on a regular basis. Not just where everybody can see it, but it's just us 
and him. And then one more verse, verse number 164. The Bible says, seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgment. Now, that word seven or seven times a day um, can mean seven times a day. But many times in, in this time period of Hebrew writing, seven times just meant a lot. It was an analogy, a way to say do it a lot. Um, like Jesus said 70 times seven in forgiveness. Uh, just meant do it a lot. And so God is saying to the author of, of Psalm 19 is say, saying, I need to praise God for his righteous judgments, for what he has decided, for what he has decreed, for what he has brought into my life. I need to praise him a lot for it. Now, you can take that literally and say you need to praise him seven times a day, and that's fine. But I think all of us need to ask ourselves, do we even do it once? Do we even do it once? We may not be at seven yet. We may not be at the many times yet. Do we do it once? Do we praise God for what he has done for us? You know, and I'm not just talking about thanking God at the dinner table. You know, that ritual prayer that I'm guilty of. Every time I sit down and pray, it's, it's the same thing. It just pops into my head. Do we think about that? Do we actually praise God for what he's done for his righteous judgments? Well, I hope that uh, that was a help and a blessing to you. But as you go throughout this week, well, take that, that thought. That God is right. Because scripture says so. And we're not going to look at our situations. We're not going to look at our circumstances. We're not going to look at what's going on around us to define who God is for us. We're going to define God first by what the Bible says. And we're going to look at everything else that's going on through that.